Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the session series from the Georgia Chamber podcast. We're your hosts, Kayla Robertson and Katie Duval. This Friday, January 9th, marks the end of Legislative Week 5. The General Assembly met Tuesday through Friday this week, completing 18 of 40 total legislative days. And I feel like every week we just say that things have been getting busier and busier, but that is most definitely true for this week. Honestly, I feel like that just may be what we say from here on out because um, I I think we were in for Mm -hmm. the long haul. You're right. Every day has gotten so much busier. We just spent the past two hours trying to get our notes pulled together for this because we have not had an opportunity to do that until now. So you're right, Kayla. It's just been full speed ahead and will continue to be that way, especially as we are three weeks away from crossover. It will be here before we know it. We've seen a ton of legislative action this week and some pretty big announcements from Speaker John Burns and Lieutenant Governor Burt Jones regarding tax incentives. I told you last week that was kind of the big thing I was waiting on, and we got it this week. You finally get to talk about your tax stuff again. Finally get to talk about taxes. The day y'all hear me not talking about taxes, we should be concerned. But before we get into this week's legislation and action from our Government Affairs Council, I'll explain a little bit of background for y'all for those who don't know. The General Assembly spent the majority of last summer reviewing Georgia's economic development incentives and the Chamber at the same time conducted our own host of meetings with members from around the state to gauge our different members' interests and and the incentives that they use the most in their operations. Of course, our members consistently told us how vital these tax incentives were and how to so many of our small and mid-sized members is pretty much the difference between being able to keep their doors open and not. Mm -hmm. So throughout this tax review process, the Chamber has advocated for fair and consistent tax policy and for the preservation of our existing incentives. And finally, yesterday, we kind of got a peek into what that is going to look like, what legislation is going to come from that review panel. Yeah, um, Speaker Burns and Lieutenant Governor held their joint press conference and made some announcements regarding that. So Katie, what was the verdict? We are expecting to see four pieces of legislation, maybe five come out of this package. I mean, we've already seen the first two drop. Yesterday, shortly after the announcement, we were able to go get copies of those. House Bill 1180 and House Bill 1181 we have seen in the flesh. House Bill 1180 is perhaps the most highly anticipated piece of legislation in this package as it deals with the lucrative film tax credit that has been a catalyst for creating the robust film industry in our state. The bill is sponsored by Creative Arts and Entertainment Committee Chairman Casey Carpenter out of Dalton, and it proposes several alterations to the film tax credit. And I'll run through just a couple of those for our listeners' awareness. The first is increasing the minimum spend for an eligible film project to $1 million. That's up from $500,000, so essentially doubling it. It also proposes to remove the ability to aggregate projects in order to meet the minimum spend threshold, meaning that one single film project must meet the $1 million minimum spend criteria to be eligible for the incentive. Right now, you can combine projects to get that incentive, and, and this would propose only one project being able to do so. It also introduces a menu of options to qualify for the 10% uplift. Most film incentive projects get the 20%, but then to get the 10%, right now you have to include the Georgia Peach logo or complete an approved alternative marketing opportunity defined by the Department of Economic Development. But this new menu of options would require you to hit four of the nine options to gain that 10% uplift. So right now, as I mentioned, there's only one requirement, and this would just make it a little more difficult to receive. Finally, the bill proposes limiting the amount of film tax credits that may be transferred in a single calendar year to 2.5% of the governor's revenue estimate for that year, uh, for that fiscal year. In 2025, this amount is approximately $900 million, so anything that exceeds that 2.5% will be rolled over to the next year. 
and will extend the carry forward period by one year. Mm -hmm. This does not limit the amount of film tax credits that can be earned in a single year, and it does not apply to the companies that utilize their tax credits against their own tax liability instead of selling them. So that's kind of the the transferability piece there. And we continue to work alongside our affiliate, the Georgia Screen Entertainment Coalition. They've really been kind of heading up this effort around the film tax credit. We're working alongside them to ensure that Georgia remains competitive in the film industry with other states where it's where it's a big deal. We'll certainly keep our members up to speed on any developments in that piece of legislation as it begins to move through the process. You also mentioned HB 1181. What was that bill regarding? Yes. So outside of the film space, we saw House Bill 1181, and it's sponsored by Chuck Martin out of Alpharetta. And it's just a short little 31-page bill um, that reduces the carry forward on some incentives from 10 years to 5 years and then from 5 years to 3 years, depending on the incentive. It also repeals a number of incentives by 2029. We're still digging through the specifics of this bill and the implications that uh, the various incentives may have on the business community. So I'll be reading that before I go to sleep every night this weekend, and I'll be able to give you a better update next week on on what those uh, specific pieces of legislation look like. In addition to 1180 and 1181, we're expecting to see a couple other pieces dropped in the tax incentive arena. They're kind of out there floating in the ether, and we, like I said, expect to see them in the coming days, and we'll certainly be sure to provide you an update on those in our recording next week. That was the really big news from this week. I know that that has been a highly anticipated announcement. But other than that, our GAC voted to support several bills this week. And the first one of those was the first piece of legislation from Lieutenant Governor Burt Jones's Red Tape Rollback Initiative. And that bill was SB 429, also known as the Small Business Protection Act of 2024. Katie, what does SB 429 aim to do? Yes, I know we've talked about Lieutenant Governor Jones's red tape rollback initiative since he's been touting it the past couple of months at uh, exit issues and a variety of other events. Senate Bill 429 is that first piece of legislation from that package, and it gives the General Assembly several more tools to evaluate pending legislation and rules that may have an impact on small businesses. It gives the General Assembly a more direct path for reviewing and slowing agency regulation if it's objectionable. It also requires each agency to essentially engage in zero-base rulemaking and a top-to-bottom review of all rules periodically. It also sets up a schedule so that these new rules and regs, other than emergency ones, will go into effect on January 1 and July 1 of each year. That eliminates the need to start randomly complying with new requirements at, at various times of the year. For purposes of rulemaking, Senate Bill 429 also expands the definition of small business from 100 employees to 300 employees, and gives agencies more flexibility in determining paperwork and compliance requirements for small businesses. We expect this bill uh, to move through the committee process next week, but as as we mentioned, we took it up in our GAC process this week as a support position. Backtracking just a little bit to the tax incentives conversation, we also took a support position on SB 362, which would prevent new businesses that recognize union representation from receiving tax incentives if they don't first hold a secret ballot. So Katie, can you explain this just a little bit further and talk a little bit about why the chamber took a support position on this bill? Yes. So sponsored by Senator Mike Hodges, who is one of the governor's floor leaders, Senate Bill 362 aims at incentivizing secret ballot elections and union organizing by barring businesses from receiving state economic incentives for new projects. 
This bill would not apply to companies where an existing employment contract states that future votes will be by card check. The Georgia Chamber prioritizes legislation such as Senate Bill 362 that strengthens our status as a right-to-work state and provides employees transparency and stability in the workplace. And this bill just passed out of the Senate just a couple hours ago on Thursday afternoon. And just to clarify, this does not keep employees from unionizing. It just requires that they do a secret ballot in order to receive the tax incentives. Exactly. And so we saw a lot of movement over on the Senate side this week. What was going on over in the House? Yes, so we we had some bills move in the Senate, as you mentioned, and then the House today in particular, we had four different bills that were passed out of the House. The first three, a couple more tax bills. You know how I feel about my tax bills. The first of those was House Bill 1015, which reduces the rate of the income tax from 5.75% to 5.39% by Lauren McDonald. We also had House Bill 1019, which um, increases that homestead exemption from $2,000 to $4,000. And then finally, we also had House Bill 1021 by Lauren Daniel, which increases the amount of uh, child care deduction from $3,000 to $4,000. All three of those passed out of the House today with no issue whatsoever. We also had our first scorecard bill pass out of a chamber this week, uh, House Bill 982 by Governor's Floor Leader Matt Gamble. Again, this is the high-demand career list that we talked about last week, and it requires the State Workforce Development Board to develop, approve, and annually publish this list to identify those careers most critical to the state's current and future workforce needs. So it also passed out of the House, so we're, we're beginning to see movement on all of these support positions. I've only taken up I think one scorecard position at this point, but we expect that to to change here in the coming weeks as we approach crossover. And last but not least for our legislative action this week, for as long and difficult as the tort reform discussion has been for the business community, we finally saw some movement in the right direction last week with Senator Blake Tillery's direct action bill. And so far, it seems like we are still moving in the right direction. That's right. I don't want to jinx us, um, but we came to you with some good news last week in the tort reform space, and we are continuing to see forward progress, believe it or not. The Senate Bill 426, the direct action bill by Blake Tillery, passed out of the Senate Judiciary Committee on Wednesday. As a reminder, Senate Bill 426 clarifies the circumstances under which the insurer of a motor carrier may be brought into a lawsuit, and it just brings Georgia a little bit closer to the majority of states where direct action against insurers is a rare practice. We expect it to be on the Senate floor first of next week, and I hope we can come back to you with an even better update uh, in our next recording. And before we go, just as a reminder, there are a couple of special elections coming up next week on February 13th. That's right. If you are in Senate District 30, the chamber has officially endorsed Renee Bell in that race, so I encourage you to get out and vote for her. She is a chamber member with the Harrelson County Chamber, I believe. And then there's also an election to replace uh, Barry Fleming in his seat in the Columbia County area. So if you live in either of those districts, please make sure you get out and vote. Thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of the session series from the Georgia Chamber Podcast. And thank you, Katie. See you next week.